Thanks for listening to this audio podcast from Crossgate Church in Hot Springs, Arkansas. We invite you to visit us at crossgate.org. It is our hope that you will hear from God and draw closer to Him through this service. We're kicking off a brand new teaching series today, so I would ask you to find in your copy of God's Word, Romans chapter 8 in the New Testament. As you're finding that, let me point a couple things out to you. First of all, as many of you know, last Sunday, right after church, uh, our next-gen ministry team partnered with our Embrace 127 group uh, to support the Call ministry. Uh, The Call is a gospel-centered ministry to foster and adoptive families throughout the state of Arkansas, and we hosted a lemonade stand and a little goodies table out there in our Uh, right outside the main entrance of the church and a time for folks to donate to this very worthy ministry that we've supported in the past and get a little something cold to drink. Now, this has been something that's taken place throughout Garland and Hot Spring County over the last several years, and the call has partnered with a lot of different churches to do exactly what we did uh, last Sunday. The former record of what was donated to the call uh, at any given church in Garland and Hot Spring County was $250. And uh, folks from all across the county had given very lovingly to the call uh, through those lemonade stands. I say former because there's a new record. As of last Sunday, I want to tell you how much I appreciate your generosity, church. You gave over $2,100 to the call. Praise God. Yes. That's a lot of lemonade. But I want to thank all of you who supported that, as well as uh, volunteered to serve with our Embrace 127, our Next Gen Ministry team, and several other volunteers. Thank you for your generosity. Now, as promised, next Wednesday, this upcoming Wednesday night, I'll be leading a teaching series throughout the month of June. It's it's an adult co-ed series. Anybody can come who wants to. It's called The Gospel According to Noah. We're going to kick that off at 6.30 p.m. this Wednesday night the 7th of June, downstairs in our 180 room, uh, formerly known as the Worship Suite. You can come on out from 6.30 to 8. We'll do that every uh, Wednesday in June, four Wednesdays. You don't have to register to participate in the study. There's no book that you need to buy in advance. We're simply going to use the Bible, if that's okay with you, okay? We're just going to study the Bible and see what the the Bible has to say about the gospel according to Noah. Now, if you are in need of child care for that time, it is available, but it is limited. And so we definitely need you to register for child care if you need that, if you're coming to the gospel according to Noah. And you can do that at crossgate.org slash events. Okay, you can go and register for that child care. We're looking forward to seeing you Wednesday night. Now, one other thing let me remind you of is that immediately after the second service today at 12.15, up in our conference room upstairs, we're going to host our Mo and Better Disciples informational meeting. Uh, This is a great opportunity to serve and volunteer, particularly if you don't have a current place of service or volunteering at Crossgate Church. We're equal opportunists, so men, women, it doesn't matter. We've got all the equipment, the mowers. Yes, they are riding mowers, okay? You can come on out and be a part of this. Join me and join our others who are already interested in this. 1215 upstairs for Mow and Better Disciples. Now, let's talk about mountains, because I happen to be an expert on mountains, all right, I am an expert mountain climber, as a matter of fact. You say, I didn't know that. Well, you see, here's the backstory. I was born and raised in a little town called Lake Wales, Florida. And Lake Wales is the home to Iron Mountain. It is the highest peak in all of peninsular Florida, 295 feet above sea level. 
and I have climbed Iron Mountain. So I know a thing or two about mountains. And when you get around expert mountain climbers such as myself, uh, you begin to hear people talk about what's called the seven summits. The seven summits are the seven highest peaks in the seven continents across the globe. And serious mountain climbers all have the seven summits on their bucket list. Uh, play, I mean, this, these are the big places now. And I'm not talking about Iron Mountain, okay? I'm talking about uh, Mount Everest, 29,000 feet in Asia. Talking about Mount Aconcagua down in South America, 23,000 feet. I'm talking about Mount McKinley, uh, more recently renamed as Denali in, in Alaska, North America, uh, 20,000 feet. We're talking that there are certain places on the earth that are known and specifically designated because of their extremely high altitudes. Those are the mountaintops. Now, in the Bible, I, I love the Bible. I'm sure you do too. The entire Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, is special to me. But, the, but I've, what I've found over the years is there are some key places in the Bible, key chapters, that are known for their exceptionally high altitude. Right? They just stand out among the entire mountain range of the Bible. For example, Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. Boy, that, that, those are some classic words that have comforted God's people for years, especially when they've walked through the valley of the shadow of death. How about Isaiah 53, also known as the gospel according to Isaiah, where Isaiah prophesied years in advance that Jesus would suffer and die for his people. How about John chapter 3? John chapter 3, not only that's where Jesus said you must be born again to Nicodemus, but John chapter 3 is also the home of what's arguably the most famous verse in the whole Bible, John 3, 16. Exceptionally high altitude, spiritually speaking. How about 1 Corinthians 15? 1 Corinthians 15, the great chapter on the resurrection of Jesus and what it means for us. I don't think you could possibly celebrate Easter without somehow giving a nod or reading from 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And then, of course, the topic of our study for the next two months, our summer study series in Romans chapter 8. And what followers of Jesus have, have discovered, generation upon generation upon generation over the last 2,000 years, is that Romans chapter 8 is special. And it's special because it talks about the Christian life, living a Christian life specifically in victory. Victory through the power of the Holy Spirit in and through the believer. And we're going to talk all about this over the next couple of months here at Crossgate Church. I, I tell you, I, I am excited. I woke up this morning fired up. We had our house of prayer at 8.30. I'm pumped up with that, praying with the worship team in the bullpen uh, shortly before we stepped out on the platform. I am fired up already about what God is going to do in my life and in your life as we study Romans chapter 8. Now, as we get into that, I want to take just a moment to hit the wave tops of Romans 1 through 7 because we can't really fully appreciate the message of Romans 8 unless we first appreciate Romans 1 through 7. Romans chapter 1, of course, talks about the fact that all Gentiles are sinners. If you're not a Jew, you're a Gentile, okay? And they're all sinners who suppress the truth because they don't want to hear it. They don't want to know it. Romans chapter 2, the flip side of that, all Jews, all, all religious people are also sinners because primarily they trust in their religion rather than in God. Romans chapter 3 says everybody's a sinner. Jews, Gentiles, 
Everybody is a sinner. All have fallen short of God's glory, right? But nevertheless, there is hope because through faith in Christ, there's new life. Romans chapter 3, look at this. None is righteous, no, not one. No one seeks God, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But now the righteousness of God is manifested. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. Romans chapter 4 basically says, look, if you don't believe that, that salvation is, is simply found in faith in Jesus Christ and what he's done, just ask Abraham, just ask David. They'll tell you about the blessing. Look at Romans chapter 4. Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. And David also speaks of the blessing. Blessed are those whose sins are forgiven. So now we're getting to some good news. Romans chapter 5 talks about the joy that we can have in having peace with God. Romans chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. New life in Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 6 is a reminder that that new life in Jesus is to be a life of holiness and pursuing God's righteousness and no longer living in sin, in spite of the fact that God is an expert at forgiving sin. Romans chapter 6, look at this. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? And then Romans chapter 7 speaks of the attempt to live the Christian life. And we're going to slow down here just for a moment because Romans chapter 7, I know I'm Captain Obvious this morning, immediately precedes Romans chapter 8, okay? So what we need to do is understand exactly what's going on in Romans chapter 7 that makes Romans chapter 8 so stinking good, y'all, okay? Here's the deal. Romans chapter 7 paints the picture of someone trying to live the Christian life in their own strength, all right? And when that happens, it basically and inevitably leads to external condemnation, lateral condemnation, internal condemnation. Listen to Romans chapter 7. This is Paul the Apostle painting the picture of someone who's trying to live the Christian life in their own strength. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. There's a struggle there. Next slide. I have discovered this principle of life, that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart. I love the Bible. But there is another power within me that is at war within my mind. Oh, what a miserable person I am. By the way, I'm reading that particular quote from the New Living Translation. Most of your translations say, what a wretched person, oh, wretched man that I am. So here we see... Paul the Apostle painting the picture of someone who, yes, is saved, and yet nevertheless is struggling. They're on the struggle bus. I mean, it's like I, I take two steps forward and three steps back. It's as if someone has given him a brand new shiny sports car free of charge, but then he's got to push it everywhere he goes. Doesn't sound like much fun to me. It almost sounds like as though Paul has some buyer's remorse. Because, see, when you get to the end of Romans 7, you basically face a good news, bad news scenario, right? Romans chapter 7 
says, yes, there's good news. We've been saved by God's grace. It's not of ourselves. It, we have all sinned. There's, there's the wages of sin and death. That's all we've got to look forward to. But Jesus Christ has saved us. That's the good news. That's a great place for an amen, okay? Because if you're a follower of Jesus, that's true of you just as it's true of me. But here's the flip side. Here's the bad news. In the lives of many, many Christian people, something is missing. Something is missing. Yes, we're saved, but we're still struggling. It's like an uphill battle. And yes, we take a few steps forward, and then we take a few steps back. And, and, and we try to, it's almost again, like we've received this, this brand new car, but we're having to push it everywhere we go. That's the challenge. And that's why the message of Romans chapter 8 is so amazing. And so all of that is said as introduction. Yes, finally we're getting around to Romans chapter 8, but I hope you understand that there's a better way to live our lives than what the last part of Romans chapter 7 displays. And, and quite frankly, I believe this is highly relevant because I do believe, in my personal opinion, the majority of Christian people are living the life seen in the last part of Romans chapter 7. Now let's get into Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 4. This is our scripture for today, Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 4. So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. The law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So God did what the, what the law could not do. He sent his own son in a body like the bodies we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. He did this so that the, so the just requirement of the law would be fully satisfied for us who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead follow the Spirit. Some translations say walk in the Spirit. Walk by the Spirit. So there's two things I want you to see in this passage, these brief four verses this morning. First of all, I want you to see and be reminded of our amnesty in the sun. Okay, get that down. Our amnesty in the sun. Now, verse 1 of Romans chapter 8, clearly one of the most famous verses in the entire Bible. There is now, therefore, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's good news. But what does it mean? Well, it means there's no condemnation. And we mentioned the types of condemnation that we run into when we try to live the Christian life in our own strength. For example, there's no external condemnation. We have amnesty over external condemnation. Now, the book of Romans, yes, it does talk about the wrath of God being poured out upon sinful humanity. But the Romans also says that the love of God for those who are in Christ Jesus, the love of God has been poured into our hearts. There's no condemnation. The love of God has been poured into our hearts. Hey, come up close, let me tell you something. Not only in Jesus Christ does God love us, guess what? God even likes us, right? God, is it okay for me to tell you this morning that God likes you, right? I mean, we need to get away from this idea, especially as followers of Jesus, that God is some spiritual policeman, always looking for a way to, to, to pounce on us. 
We've got to get away from this idea that God is this spiritual boogeyman that's, that's constantly out to get us. And You know, if I, can just, if I can just live good enough as a Christian, and I can just make it to church enough and everything else, God's not going to get me. That's not the picture that we see in the Bible. And there's certainly, we're free of external condemnation. The Christian life is not just about staying one step ahead of God in order to not get in trouble. There's victory that we're going to talk about in just a moment, but there's amnesty in the sun that, that, that allows us to be free of that external condemnation. How about lateral condemnation? Lateral condemnation. You know, you're going to have your critics. I'll have my critics. Haters going to hate. But as a follower of Jesus Christ, you don't have to give counsel to your critics. Did you know that? There's only one person's opinion who really matters in your life. You know whose that is? It's God's opinion. It's God's opinion of you. Paul the Apostle had his critics, didn't he? I mean, he had people that absolutely ran him into the dirt, and yet this is what he said in the book of Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 4. For me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself, for I am not aware of anything against myself, He says, I'm not currently aware of anything that God is convicting me of, but I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord, ultimately, who judges me. See, at the end of the day, your critics don't count. It's God's opinion of you that really matters and what God's opinion of you is in and through Jesus Christ. But we're also free of what I call internal condemnation, and we've already seen this in Romans chapter 7. See, when when you are attempting to live the Christian life in your own strength, invariably, you're going to be condemning yourself eventually, right? It's, it's a cycle that we, we absolutely have to be freed from. Now, I've given you an example of this in an illustration some time ago, and I'm going to give it to you again. It's kind of like swearing off McDonald's. How, how many of y'all have ever sworn off McDonald's? Either because of bad food, bad, and by the way, if you work at McDonald's here, I'm not down on you, okay? I'm not, I'm not judging you. I'm just simply saying because I like to go to McDonald's every now and again myself, but here's the thing. Most of us have probably sworn off going to McDonald's at some point, either because of bad food, bad service, or, or an unclean uh, restaurant, right? So we swear, I am never, gang, we are never going to McDonald's again. And then about two weeks later, it's like, can I have a quarter pounder with, uh, with value meal, please? And you're right back at McDonald's again. That's exactly what Romans chapter 7 is saying. You say, I'm not, I'm not going there anymore, I'm not doing that anymore, and, and then next thing you know, you're, you're doing it all over again. Right? That's, that's the cycle. Again, it's two steps forward, three steps back. That's where a lot of Christian people are. There's some sin, some, some nagging, persistent sin, or, or maybe the failure to do something you know you should do. And, and it comes back to you again and again and again, and it's eating your lunch. We've got to be set free from that, and praise God, we are in Jesus Christ. And yet so many Christian people have not yet experienced the victory. I'm talking about victory now that we're going to talk about in just a moment. So how how are we set free from this? Where does the amnesty from the Son come from? Well, it comes from Jesus Christ, who lived the perfect life and died as a sinless sacrifice on our behalf. Look at what the Bible has to say. Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. Jesus said this, do not think that I have come to to abolish the law of the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Jesus was the only sinless, perfect human being who ever walked the face of this earth. And then look at what it says in the book of Hebrews, chapter 9, talking about his sinless, sacrificial death on the cross for you and for me. Christ has entered, 
not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf, once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Now here's the truth of, of, the, of the gospel of Jesus Christ. For those who receive Jesus by faith, his saving life, his saving death are applied to you. Christianity is not, and the Christian life is not spelled D-O, do, it's spelled D-O-N-E, done. It was already done by Jesus Christ. It's not up to you to live the Christian life. It's not up to you to, to do all of these things. It's up to Jesus Christ. And he's already done all of them. And he wants to do them in and through you as well. So yes, we have amnesty in the Son. But we also have victory in the Spirit, praise God. And that's really what Romans chapter 8 is all about. Yes, they get the condemnation piece out of the way in, in, in verse 1, and then the rest of the chapter goes on to talking about the victorious Christian life in and through Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. That's incredible. Victory in the Spirit. Now, when we talk about victory in the Spirit, we're talking about what happens after we come to faith in Jesus Christ. You know, it's almost like getting out of jail. Right? You, you, you have this moment of conversion. You, you're set free from the wages of sin and death and all of that. It's like getting out of jail. But once you get out of jail, there's a lot of life to live, y'all. I mean, you've got to decide what kind of life you're going to live once you get out of the slammer, the spiritual slammer, right? You, you can either limp along. I mean, someone who gets out of jail in the real world, they can either limp along, just kind of just eking out an existence, living on the streets, potentially uh, battling day after day the temptations to do the things that put them in jail in the first place. Or maybe they could establish a brand new life and, and have a roof over their head and, and, and a comfortable place to sleep and, and plenty of food to eat. There, there's a massive difference. And listen, I'm, I'm talking figuratively, of course. But what the Bible says is that Christian people have, have two options. You can walk according to the flesh or you can walk according to the Spirit. Walk according to the flesh, or walk according to the Spirit. See, in the Bible, whenever you see the word flesh, it can mean one of two things. It can either mean the skin and the bones of your body, the physical body that you have, or in many cases, it can mean that part of you that you're born with that is, that is opposed, fully opposed to what pleases God. And, and every single person, man, woman, boy, and girl, is eaten up with the flesh. In Romans chapter 8, that's the meaning of the flesh. That part of us that is, that is ardently opposed to what pleases God. Okay? Now, if you're lost, if someone is lost and they've never come to Jesus Christ in faith, they've never been born again, they're 100% flesh. That's all they've got. I mean, you, you can't please God. We're going to see that in, in Romans chapter 8 later in the chapter. You can't please God if you're simply of the flesh. Once you are saved and you're born again, you're regenerated by the Holy Spirit, now you've got the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Almighty God inside of you. That's an amazing thing. But even a saved Christian is still going to have that flesh. right? That, that flesh inside of you and inside of me will never be fully eradicated until we step into heaven one day immediately in the presence of of God. And so the Bible talks about a battle that goes on inside of Christian people between the flesh 
and the Spirit. There's a battle going on inside of you, if you're saved, there's a battle going on inside of me, right? And, and, if, and if we decide to walk according to the flesh, that's when you see a Christian who's just struggling, and it, it's, there's, there, there's more spiritual friction than there is victory in their lives. But God has called us to walk according to the Spirit. That's where the victorious Christian life resides and abides. Look at Galatians. Paul gave a very similar discourse in Galatians chapter 5. Look at this. Walk by the Spirit, and you will not be gratifying, or you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Does that sound like Romans chapter 7? That's exactly what he's talking about. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Kind of goes back to that old story about the, 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 the aged grand, uh, grandpa Indian and his little, little uh, grandson there. And, uh, and the little boy says, Grandpa, it feels like there's a, there's, a, there's a battle raging inside of me. What's going on? And the old chief says, well, there's two wolves inside of you, my boy. And, and they're fighting against each other. And the little boy's eyes got about this big. And he said, which one will win? And, and the old grandpa says, whichever one you feed, my son. There, there's a battle going on. Now, the question is this. Here's the question. We're fixing to get very practical here, okay? The, the, the question is this. Do you personally, in your personal opinion, do you feel like most, if not the majority of Christian people are living a life of victory? Are, are, are truly walking in the Spirit rather than walking according to the flesh? Do you truly feel like most Christian people are experiencing victory, spiritual victory rather than spiritual friction, trying to do their best? trying to, to somehow eke out a Christian life as if, as if their own efforts depended on it? Well, what do the data points tell us? That, I mean, that it's actually going on in the lives of Christian people. Well, here's some. For example, look at this. Here's one. 68% of church men and 50% of pastors have searched for online pornography in the last year. Among Christians age 18 to 24, 76% have searched for online pornography in the last year. 35% of those were women. Okay, there's one data point. Here's another one. Seven to ten million Christians experienced deep depression or anxiety in the past year. Here's another one. Nearly 30% of Christian marriages end in divorce, which is not far behind the numbers from the general population. Another, before COVID, the average church member attended in-person services two to three times per month. Post-COVID, the average church member attends one to two times Per month. Another one? 75% of Christians have never shared their faith or even invited someone to church. And then what about loving our neighbors well? What about truly loving consistently, not selectively? This is what Pastor David Platt said. And I'll tell you what, if you ever want to get an honest word, just listen to David Platt. The fact is that you have a better chance of being loved if your next door neighbor is not a Christian. If your neighbor is a Christian, and an evangelical Christian for sure, chances are they're going to judge you. Look down on you for your struggling daughter. They're going to malign you because one of your kids is on drugs 
or they're going to talk cynically about you because you go to the lake and not church on Sunday mornings. You know, friends, I don't, I don't share any of these statistics to put anybody on a spiritual guilt trip, okay? That's not the point. After all, what does Romans chapter 8, verse 1 say? There's no condemnation. It's, it's not about condemnation. Okay? But I, I think most of us would agree that in the lives of many, many Christian people, something is missing. Something is missing. There's something else to what their experience has been. I mean, think about it. What, what, what is the Bible, what's the picture the Bible paints of the Christian life, the victorious Christian life? 2 Corinthians 3, verse 18, look at this. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. How many Christian people that you personally know could you say that's, that's true of that person? I mean, they are experiencing transformation, radical transformation through Jesus Christ. Or to put it in crossgate language, how many people, how many Christian people do you know who truly are growing followers of Jesus, who live in love like Jesus, and, and who lead others to follow him? That, that's our definition of a disciple at Crossgate. You know, Romans chapter 8 is all about that. Experiencing that, not in our own efforts as if we're just on some spiritual treadmill and if we can just crank the speed up a little more, man, then we can see the Christian life take place in our in our lives right that's not that's not the the picture that romans 8 uh, paints and we've talked a lot about the what this morning and the how and we must never forget as we will see with very clear eyes in romans chapter 8 that that the victorious christian life is basically when this holy spirit of god is working and and active and, and we've yielded to the Spirit of God in our lives, experienced the fullness of the Spirit. That, that's the how of this victorious Christian life that we're going to talk about in Romans chapter 8. Look in Galatians chapter 3. This is my last scripture for you. Paul the Apostle said this, Are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit? In other words, you were saved. Yes, absolutely. You prayed to receive Christ. You were saved. You were born again by the power of the Spirit of God in your life. I mean, the Bible tells us we're regenerated by the Holy Spirit. He says, are you now being perfected, meaning coming to maturity in the flesh? Right? I mean, did God somehow pay the down payment for your salvation and now you have to make monthly payments through what you're doing? Nope. See, at the end of the day, we all need victory in our lives. And that thing that is missing in so many lives is the power of the Holy Spirit. I want to close with two questions. And I want you to start asking these questions prayerfully. You don't have to give an answer right now. You may need to pray about it and allow God to put his finger on something specific. But here's the two questions, okay? Two questions are this. What do you need victory over? And what do you need victory for? Okay, we're going to talk all about that in this, in this series. When I say, what do you need victory over, I'm talking about a nagging, persistent sin in your life, whether it's huge or small in your eyes, it doesn't matter. 
but it's something that you keep coming back to something that continually eats your lunch it, it could be a pornography addiction absolutely yes that I, I'm under no illusion to think that that's not an issue at Crossgate Church okay I'm not I'm under no illusion I'm not naive but for some of you some of you men you have persistently talked to your wife in a way that is not loving but is demeaning and, and you, you keep going back to it. Oh, you wouldn't do it here on this campus, but I mean, I'm talking about the privacy of your own home. Some of you ladies, some of you ladies, your gossip is so persistent, it has become a part of who you are. You don't even know you're doing it. Running, running other ladies down, running other people down verbally. That, that, that may be the thing that you need victory over. See, we need victory over the things that displease God in our lives. It, I don't know what, what, what it is you need victory over. I know what I need victory over. And I've been praying this week, and I'm, I'm asking you to be praying in the coming weeks about how God wants to see you have victory over these things by walking in the Spirit, not in the flesh. But just re remember, we also need victory for some things. right? Things like regularly abiding in Jesus in prayer. Or loving our neighbors and the people in our spheres of influence consistently, not selectively. I guarantee every single one of you loves somebody out there, right? Yes, we all have certain people that we love, but what about those other people? Coworkers, neighbors in our neighborhood, whatever, right? We're, we're so selective with our love, aren't we? God's not selective. God so loved the whole world that he gave his one and only son. What, what do you need victory for? One of the statistics we quoted was 75% of Christians have never even shared their faith or invited somebody to church. They're so inward focused that they're not being a witness. Again, this is not condemnation. There's no condemnation in Jesus Christ. But I'm telling you, Romans chapter 8 is, is, the, is the ground zero, the center of gravity for the kind of life that we could have. We could have in Jesus Christ. And so whatever it is that's going on in your life today, those are the two questions. Write them down, take a picture of the screen, whatever you need to do. Those are the two things you need to be praying about in the next week or two. And saying honestly and sincerely and authentically to God, God, what do I need victory over? I'm, I'm, I'm wide open. You tell me, God, what do I need victory over? God, what do I need victory for? What, what's not taking place in my life that needs to take place in my life? I need victory. I can't do it, God. I need the power of the Holy Spirit in my life. And God, I'm asking you to show me and help me as we study through Romans chapter 8. We invite you to join us in person at our campus located at 3100 East Grand Avenue in Hot Springs, Arkansas. If we can pray for you, send us an email at prayer at crossgate.org. Thanks again for listening to our audio podcast.